Before I get into the word, I just feel like prophetically something's happening. Does everybody sense there's like an acceleration? Do you feel that excitement and that anticipation in the atmosphere? It's like there's just an increased anointing on our prayers right now and an acceleration in the answers. And um, this morning I was in a meeting with a group of people and someone came up to us and said, hey, um, my daughter is in Brazil visiting her friend who's a missionary from the U.S. and she just got her wallet stolen with all her money, her passport, they took everything. And they know for a fact that it was stolen. So, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out, do they call the embassy what they do? And so, you know, the obvious answer, right? Let's pray. So we began to pray and prayed a little differently than normal, you know, just like, oh, Lord, you know, bless them, hope they find it kind of prayer. But uh, a prayer that was actually a command. It's like, return that wallet, return it now, put the spirit of conviction on the person that took it. And we even said, have that wallet returned within the hour. Less than an hour later, I get a text message, the girl holding her wallet, the person that stole it. <laughs> returned it, no questions asked, and just apologized, and everything was in the wallet. It was perfectly intact. But I just offer that up, not, not to boast about us, but to say there's something going on that, you know, when, when you pray, and you pray with certainty, there's something about praying with certainty, isn't there? For so long, we, we fire up these prayers and kind of sort of hope prayers, right? But, but when you take authority, when you command and I'm not saying we command God, but when we command the situation, God moves, doesn't he? Because you know what? It's, it's a direct answer, a direct answer. And you can point to that saying, God did exactly what we prayed for. So just want to encourage you guys, you know, whatever situation you're facing right now, just pray with that certainty. You know, just call it in. And I'm not talking about positive thinking or anything, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, deploying the power of God in your life. It really does work. So with that, uh, tonight what I want to speak to you guys on is public reading of Scripture. And I just ran across this verse in First Timothy. And when I ran across this verse, I was really convicted because you know how you read the Bible all the time and sometimes certain things that you've never seen before jump out at you and you're like, that's been in there the whole time, and I, I never saw that. So 1 Timothy, I have it up here for you. This is Paul, the apostle, talking to Timothy, you know, his young convert, young pastor, and he's giving him advice. And Paul's locked up at this time. He says, until I come, you know, he's hoping to get back to Timothy. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. So... I saw that verse, and I'm like, the public reading of Scripture, I, I know we do the preaching, and we do the teaching, and I think in our minds, maybe, we think the public reading of Scripture is like, you read the verse before you preach on it, or you read the verse before you teach on it. But what he's talking about here is actually publicly reading Scripture. Does anybody practice that? I mean, we do it privately, don't we? But, I mean... Have you been in many churches that actually read through the word? And uh, as I began to meditate on that, as I began to think about it, the Lord kind of took me through the scriptures, and I saw how biblical this is and how it has its roots all the way back to Exodus. And many of you know the story of Exodus with Moses. When he got the book of the law, Exodus 24-7 here says, then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? So here he is, he reads the law to the people, and they're so moved in their heart, they're like, man, that sounds good, that's exactly what we want to do, and we're going to obey that. And that goes to James, right, the book of James, he said not to be just hearers only, but to be doers of the word. Don't just listen to it, but do what it says. Because it's one thing to, to know the word, but it's a whole other thing to do the word, isn't it? It takes a lot more discipline, 
and, um, you know, a lot more unction to do exactly what the Word is calling us to do. But I think we're in a season, you know, it's probably a word that you're hearing a lot of lately is that word obedience, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we try to get people saved, but we don't teach them to obey the commands. And that's what true discipleship is, isn't it? That was the command to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything that God has commanded. So how are we doing in the obedience department? And I don't know about you, but that's where I fall short all the time. You know, I know what I should do, but my flesh just lets me down every time. And, uh, you know, so to, to understand it, to know it, is a much different matter than to do it and to put it into practice. And if we could do these things and put them into practice, can you imagine the world would be a way different place, wouldn't it? So here we have Moses and Exodus saying, you know, here's what God says. This is the law. I'm going to read it to everybody because obviously no internet, no printing press, um, no, you know, back in my day, cassette recorders. You know, we, we had all the teaching tapes on cassette, right? Could listen to side A on the way to work, side B on the way home. You remember those days, right? But, but we, Moses had none of that technology. And so what they had to do is they had to read the word. And it was powerful. So Deuteronomy, continuing on with Moses. Oh, this one's a little bit longer, so bear with me. It says, so Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn it to fear the Lord your God as long as you live. So this is quite clear where, you know, Moses is instructing the people and he's saying this law should be read every seven years in its entirety to the entire assembly, men, women, and children, right? So can you imagine as a child, as you grow every seven years, you're hearing the law read to you. And uh, that repetition seeps into your spirit, doesn't it? And it, it is quite something to have everybody assemble and to read through the, the law. And um, the, every seven years, there was a canceling of debt. And I, I think we should practice that still, don't you? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Every seven years, it's like, psh, wipe clean. No credit card, no mortgage, no nothing. I, I don't know what happened to that practice, but uh, right now we're just talking about reading the word. We'll worry about that one later. But, but at that seven-year mark, everybody assembles to hear that word for word, hearing the law read to them. And uh, they learn to fear the Lord. So repetition is a great teacher, isn't it? So as they go through and they, they read it, it gets into their heart gets into their spirit. So after Moses, we know uh, Joshua came next. And so this is in the book of Joshua. And the covenant was renewed at Mount Ebal. And you may remember the story, but it says, Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. So how many times have you sat down with your children and read through the scriptures and, and had them understand exactly what the scriptures have to say? And I know right now we're talking about the law, but, but basically the practices and, you know, backtracking to Timothy, it was all of scripture, right? So here we got um, Joshua continuing Moses' tradition to read the book of the law to the entire assembly. And then after that, it's kind of muddy, you know, whether this practice continued or not, because the Bible doesn't really say much about it. 
probably, I'm sure, some uh, Orthodox, uh, you know, some of the Israelites probably practiced and continued it, but um, written proof goes next to Josiah. And many of you know King Josiah. He was the boy king. You know, he was uh, crowned at eight years old, but he was a righteous king. And as you know, right, Israel kept doing this flip-flop. You know, so many years they would be righteous, so many years they'd be evil. So his forefathers were evil kings, and then Josiah comes along, this young boy, and he wants to be a good king. And they're cleaning out the temple because the temple became like a, a storehouse, basically. And as they're cleaning the temple, the priests find the book of the law, and Josiah hears the book of the law, and, I mean, he literally rents his robes and says, oh, my goodness, how far have we strayed? So what does he do? He calls the assembly together and says, we need to begin to read this scripture to, to the whole assembly. So here we pick up in Second Kings. It says, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read it in their hearing of all the words of the book of the covenant, which he found in the temple of the Lord. So by cleansing the temple, they find the book, and they see how neglected it had been. And he saw the state of his nations because they strayed, they drifted from God. And, you know, it's so hard to convince people nowadays because they see the scripture, they see the Bible as very archaic, don't they? And they don't understand its relevance today. But I guarantee you, if you were to take the time to read it and let it convict you, you would immediately see the relevance, wouldn't you? Because it's when our eyes were opened, you know, each one of us, when we became born again, all of a sudden this made so much sense, didn't it? Because if you tried to read this as an unconverted person, it doesn't make much sense. And, you know, everybody goes with canned arguments, don't they? And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll quote other people that are ignorant of what the scriptures say. And I just heard a line the other day that I just absolutely love. Because one of the biggest arguments that you'll have is people will say, well, the Bible is full of contradictions. The Bible contradicts itself. I can't tell you how many times when I've tried to evangelize people, I hear that argument, don't you? And this one teacher pointed out, he says, when someone says that to you, just tell them the Bible doesn't contradict itself, it contradicts you. Wow, when I heard that, and, you know, that's part of my testimony, part of my road to salvation is when I realized that God was way bigger than me, you know, I had to be knocked off my high horse. And the scripture became kind of a mirror, doesn't it? And as I began to read the word and I saw what it said and I considered my life and how I was living, I'm like, wow, I'm so far out of touch. I'm so far off base. I've strayed so far because if the scripture is truly the plumb line, if it's truly our measure of what's right and what's good, what's expected, and then we hold it up to ourselves, guess what? It's full of contradictions, isn't it? Not the scriptures, but our lives because we contradict everything that God says in, in, in our everyday life when we're unregenerate. So I think it's really important that we're constantly putting the word out there. We're constantly quoting that scripture. And can you imagine if we all started practicing this and as a concert, um, all the scripture reading is just penetrating the atmosphere over and over and over. One of the things I loved doing in the prayer house is having everybody pray at the same time um, in English. And, you know, always praying in the spirit, of course, but but sometimes just praying in English, and you hear the whole room praying what God is putting on each person's heart. But you know what? God can handle it, can't he? You know, you might be praying for healing. They might be praying for deliverance. You might be praying for financial blessing. But as all those prayers go up, and my understanding is this is how they pray on Korea, is they just everybody prays at the same time. And to the untrained ear, it sounds like confusion, doesn't it? It sounds like chaos. But in God's hearing, it sounds beautiful because it's just, it becomes a symphony. So can you imagine all over, every day, 
all hours of the day, if people were reading scripture and it was going up to heaven, it, it would just be an amazing thing. So, after Josiah, the next recorded case of public reading of scripture is Nehemiah. And we all know the story of Nehemiah, right? The, the walls of the city were torn down and he was heartbroken, so the king released him to go back and to rebuild the city and the walls. And so this is um, the account in the Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, so kids. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. So can you picture this? And, you know, I kind of put an illustration there to help you picture it. Here's Ezra standing on this wooden platform that they had made for him so that he was high up above the crowd and everybody could see him and hear him reading the book of the law. And, uh, you know, a lot of commentators said this was actually the first pulpit. <laughs> so, you know, Ezra had the honor of having the, the very first pulpit, right? Or, you know, some people call it a soapbox, right? So he was able to stand high and read the word. And, and you know, I love that image because I was in a Bible study one time and the leader that we had was very, um, very reverent when it came to the word. And whenever someone had to read the passage for the study, he demanded that we all stood. And we would all stand and we would all hold our Bibles and we would read the passage together. And that standing up, that's just showing reverence to God, isn't it? And I'm not talking about being legalistic or, or proud, but there's something about it. When you stand to your feet and you pay honor to that word, you're saying, God, I honor your word. It's precious to me. And I love to see that. And this guy, every time he would make a point to mention, I want you on your feet when we read the word and show it the proper respect. So that was in the next recorded case in the Old Testament. And then we know between the Old Testament and New Testament, in the time of the Maccabees, you know, there was actually a famine in the land of hearing the word of God. And, and I believe he's talking about both the logos, which is the written word, but also the rhema, right? A rhema word, too, was not coming forth. And so we have what they call, um, you know, if any of you came up through the Catholic ranks, uh, the 400 silent years, right, where nobody heard the word or the voice of God for 400 years. So um, it's really important that we have that word because if we don't, society disintegrates really quickly, doesn't it? So, fast-forwarding to the New Testament, Paul directs his letters to be read to the assemblies as they were direct, the ones that they were directed to. Now, you have to understand, at the time Paul wrote these letters, they weren't considered scripture, right? They were letters to churches. Later on, they became canonized to where we recognize them as scripture. So when Paul was talking about reading the scriptures, obviously he was talking about the Old Testament. He wasn't talking about his personal writings, but later on they become, um, you know, part of the scriptures that we know as the New Testament. But these letters are powerful, aren't they? And they're just loaded with content and instruction and, um, you know, rules to live by. You know, if you start looking at the New Testament and understanding everything that these writers wrote, it's amazing stuff. And when you see the problems and the issues that they dealt with, they're no different than they are today, are they? So if you fast forward to the very end, the book of Revelations, and what I'm trying to prove to you tonight is that from the very beginning to the very end, there's been public reading of scripture. And so we're in this little dispensation here, right, between the two and this little bridge that we live in. Why don't we practice this? Why don't we do this? Um, I think it's something that we need to reinstate and reinstitute in the church. And at first it sounds really boring, and uh, tonight we're going to try it. It might be really boring tonight, but I guarantee you if you stick with it and you keep doing it, 
something will change. But the book of Revelation was a written letter, wasn't it? And more importantly, it was written to seven churches. And each one of those churches got a copy of it. And it was expected to be read to those churches, right? Because there was some blessings and curses for each church. And they had to understand what God himself was saying to them. You know, this I appreciate about you, but this I have against you. And man, can you imagine if there was a letter written to the church of Roseville? You know, I always ask pastors when we meet together, I think they hate when I ask this question, but if God was to write a letter to the church of Roseville, who would get it? Which church would get that letter? And if you got that letter, if you were the pastor that got the letter, would you be faithful to take it to the other churches? Are we in enough relationship where we could share that? Or would we be jealous of one another like, oh, of course he got the letter. Why didn't I get the letter? Um, you know, or would you believe that that person received that letter? And what do you think the church in Roseville would be commended for? What do you think that God would say, hey, Roseville Church, I really love this about you. I mean, you ever ponder those kind of things and think about that? Like, what are we known for? What would we be kind of getting the pat on the back for? And conversely, what would we be getting chastised for, right? Church of Roseville, I have this against you. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I earnestly ask the Lord that because I want to know because, you know, as a spiritual leader in this community, I feel very responsible for some of the things that go on. That's why when uh, we were in East Point, uh, not this church, but I hope when we were in East Point, we were actually going to city council meetings because we were wanting to know the spiritual intelligence of what was happening in our community. Because I'll tell you what, if someone was trying to bring a strip club into East Point, we, we have to guard those gates, don't we? We have to say, no, 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 not in our community. We don't want that here because we don't want to bring that curse on our land. And if someone wanted to bring a blessing into East Point, guess what? We'd be all over that too. Yeah, bring it. You know, we want to see our city prosper. And that's why a couple of weeks ago when I talked to you, we stood outside that abortion clinic for five years because God challenged me with the city of East Point. You know, one of the things that he's got against that city is the shedding of innocent blood that's happening on that ground. And it's been happening for 40 years. That clinic's been open for 40 years. And I think I shared with you my son-in-law, he had a vision one night, he had a dream, and he woke up so shaken, and he was crying so hard. And I'm like, Robert, what's wrong? He said, the Lord showed me inside that clinic, and he said, where the doctor stood at the birthing stool, he said, there was a dished out impression in the floor of two footprints. This guy had done so many abortions that the floor was worn out where the birthing stool was. Now, whether that's true or not, in the natural, I don't know. But in the spirit, God showed him that this had become so routine, so everyday, so commonplace, that it was well-worn. And when we had Roy Roy here, remember he said that Francis Schaeffer said that abortion exists because the church allows it, right? So this isn't a message on abortion, but it's just the spiritual principle of what is over our city that we would be blessed for, what's over our city that we would be cursed for. And, you know, I, I would really encourage you to pray about that and seek the Lord on that. And if you hear anything, let me know, because <laughs> I really want to know, because you know, that gives spiritual intelligence to our intercessors, doesn't it? And it puts them to work. And, and so if there's evil practices going on, we need to put an end to them. And the best way to fight it is we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so we take those things out in the spirit through prayer. So the benefits of reading the word, number one, we all know Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word has power. And I don't know if you've ever encountered it where you've ever read the word and it has shook you to your core or it's convicted you in such a way because that's the power of the word, right? 
Because you know this is God himself speaking to us. He wrote it down for us. How important is this? And that's why I love when I pick up a Bible, it says Holy Bible, right? And there's something about this book. I remember, again, you know, when I worked at GM, we would go to our Bible study, and we didn't have Bibles on phones. We didn't even have cell phones back in the day. We took our Bibles to the Bible study. And if you walked down the hall, people would look at you like you were holding two sticks of dynamite, you know, or a radioactive isotope. Like, what are you doing with that? But you know what? We were proud. These were our swords, you know, and we were marching right to the, the uh, you know, the Bible study. And, you know, when we saw another brother with their Bible, it's just like you give them the nod, right? Because this is power. And even unbelievers know that there's power in the word. So one of our groups, we had a, a sister in our group, and she was probably the most powerful intercessor. She's one of the people that taught me how to pray. And this lady knew the scripture inside and out. She knew scripture word for word. And she could quote entire chapters of scripture. So we would come into these Bible studies and sometimes we just lost control because she took right over. Because she'd do the opening prayer, which happened to be the closing prayer as well, because she never stopped. She never let up. She just like buzzsawed through that hour. And she would just start quoting scripture after scripture. And she got more and more intense. Have you ever prayed with someone like that? She started off pretty even keeled. And the more she prayed, the more excited she got. And the more excited we got. And I'll tell you, Several times the secretary come and knock on the door like, tone it down, tone it down. <laughs> you guys, you don't realize how loud you're getting. But she would just scream the word. And the power that went forth from that room was just unbelievable. And you would leave that conference room every day. No matter how beat down you were when you went in there, when you came out, you felt like you just had raw eggs and gunpowder for breakfast. You know, you were just like on steroids because the word pumps you up, doesn't it? The word fills you up. The word motivates you. The word excites you. And so this woman really knew how to deliver it. So part of the public reading of Scripture is we got to be careful that we don't read it in such a way that we put everyone to sleep, right? Because it deserves to be read with passion. Second Timothy, another benefit, says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And again, I love the word from the standpoint that when I lack understanding, all I have to do is say, Lord, show me. And every time I open to the answer, you know, it just falls on the right page. And you look at that and you're saying, that's the answer. That is really powerful. And I'll tell you, I can't can't explain to you how many times if you get in a debate with somebody and it's not a cop-out it's like it's not what I say it's not my opinion it's God's opinion it's what God says it's his rules it's his understanding it's his direction and if you can fall back on that guess what game over isn't it because it's not one opinion versus another opinion it's what God says versus what you think and again, there's going to be a little contradiction there sometimes, isn't there? And if there's a contradiction, guess who loses? You do every time, right? If you're smart, you say, I lose. God, you're right. I surrender to you. So I love that, that, you know, it gives us instruction, correction, training. And so it doesn't become us versus them. And I'll tell you, as a father... So many times when, when I lacked understanding, when I didn't know what to do, and I would just fall back in the scripture and, you know, thank God my children understood that this isn't dad's opinion. This is what God says, and he's just representing to me what God says. He's doing his job as the priest of the family to do his best to be a representative of the kingdom of God in my life. And now that my children are adults, you know, they've come back and thanked me, you know, Dad, the times that you corrected me and I didn't agree, I understood where you're coming from now. You know, you were just representing God. Isaiah. So 
is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose of which it's sent. So I got that little guy with the boomerang, right? Because every time you throw that word out there, guess what? It's going to come back around, isn't it? And it's going to come back around with power, and it's going to come back around with an answer. And you're going to be able to catch that word and say, see, I told you. God, God is on the case here. But what's amazing is as you send it out, it engages all our gateways. You know, when you send out the word and you speak it, and again, Pastor Tim, one of the things that he's trying to get us to do over and over, how many times has he said it? Speak it out, shout it out, say it, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly shy, so it's hard for me to be like that, to be demonstrative, to be boisterous. It's just not my style. But there's something biblical about it because when it goes from your mouth gate, right, it kind of boomerangs back and it comes back through your ear gate. And as you're reading scripture to pronounce it, guess what? Your eye gate is engaged as well. So your eyes get filled, your mouth spews it out, and it comes back through your ears, and it penetrates your mind, doesn't it? And so the more you practice it, the more you do it. And again, you know, we've been taught to read silently. But there's just something so powerful that when you read it out loud. One, one method that I was taught early on, and this goes back to the prayer house days, is they called IHOP, the International House of Prayer, the singing seminary. And I was always intrigued by that because what they would do is they would just sing the scriptures. And if you walked up to any musician and looked at their keyboard, looked at their music stands, they didn't have any sheet music, they had the Bible. That's all they had was the Bible. And somehow they knew when they played in the spirit that everybody would be using the same chord progression. They knew how to improvise. The Holy Spirit would just direct it. But the most amazing thing is the lyrics were scripture. And as you sing scripture over and over and over, that repetition. And, you know, a lot of people make a laughing stock out of them. Say, well, all they do is repeat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they repeat for a reason. They're repeating to get it down into your spirit. And those kids knew so much scripture. By the time they were done with a year or two in the prayer room, they could quote just about every book of the Bible because singing it is different, isn't it? Because they say, psych psychology says that um, when you say something and you hear something, we have a gatekeeper in our mind. And we have to say, is that true or not true? Do I accept that as truth? If we do, we filed in the truth file, right? But if we say it's a lie or I don't agree with that, we reject it and we toss it in the lie pile and, or we just throw it out. We don't even log it into our brains, right? So... Um, when you sing, they claim that that gatekeeper isn't alert. He's not on his job because he's like, oh, they're just singing. I don't have to be vigilant here. I don't have to, you know, weigh whether this is true or not. And there's plenty of examples of songs that are kind of silly songs, and we accept those songs, and we don't judge them. Are these truthful or not truthful? We just say, it's a song. And so our gatekeeper's down. But when you start singing scripture... It just goes in and it penetrates. And I know I'm doing a very poor job of explaining the principle, but, but there's something about it that's true. So what they teach is um, RWSSP, and I should have made a slide, but so the R stands for whenever you're trying to learn scripture, first you read it, then you write it, then you speak it, you say it out loud, right? Then you sing it, and... Don't get tripped up by your own singing. You know, maybe, maybe you're the best singer in the world, and you're like, wow, that sounds really awesome. Or maybe you're like me, you know, really poor singer. Don't get tripped up on like, oh, that sounded horrible. You sing it because, again, you're trying to bypass that gatekeeper sometimes, so you don't get caught up in thinking of the theology of it. But you just start to sing it, and then the last thing is pray it. So then you actually pray that scripture. And that cements it. It takes it out of the spiritual realm and it grounds it into the earthy realm. So it's R-W-S-S-P. If you were taking notes on that, read it, write it, sing it, 
say it and pray it. Okay. And then, lastly, with the public reading of Scripture, I had no idea. You know, I just read this verse in Timothy, and I'm thinking, why don't we read Scripture publicly? What happened to that practice? And unbeknownst to me, it's going on everywhere. Um, has anybody ever heard of this movement that's going on right now? Public reading of Scripture? Okay, so I'm not alone. I had no idea, so I, I go and I'm starting to Google it, and next thing I know, all these apps are popping up. So there are actually public reading Scripture apps. They call them PRS apps for public reading Scripture. And uh, even Focus on the Family has an app. And you go into these apps and, and you look at them, and they have Bible reading plans. They say it takes roughly 90 to 100 hours to read through the Bible from cover to cover. And so, you know, if you took 100 hours, you could read through the Bible. So you can easily get through it in a year or a couple times in a year if you wanted to take 100 hours and, and put that into practice. But they have all these reading tracks. You know, they have Old Testament tracks, New Testament, just like you would have in your personal Bible reading. But many of them have it pre-recorded. Other apps have functions on them where you network with other people. And so now you're starting to see um, Zoom groups pop up where people get on a Zoom call once a week. And they say, okay, for an hour on Wednesdays, we're going to read the scripture. And they read through the scripture. And, you know, it gives you accountability, doesn't it? Because how many times have you said, I'm going to read the word, I'm going I'm to read through the Bible in a year, and you just never get it done. But there's something about doing it corporately, doing it in community, where you actually get it done. And once you go through it once, it becomes easier and easier. But these groups are springing up everywhere. Um, you know, churches, uh, businesses, schools, um, you know, home groups. And many are taking the time to say, we're going to do this. Um, I belong to a Thursday night group, and we were talking about this last night. Uh, we met on Tuesday last night. I keep thinking today's Friday because our group always meets on Thursday. So I'm really thrown off. But, you know, I had mentioned this, and they said, okay, January, we're going to start doing public reading and scripture because every morning we have a prayer call, um, and we pray every morning seven days a week. And they said, we're going to take one day a week, and we're going to read scripture instead of pray that day. So I'm excited. I'm really interested in doing that. Um, many of you know about Bible Gateway. If you don't use Bible Gateway, it's a great Bible reading program and uh, electronic Bible, basically. And you can uh, dial in any, any translation of the Bible. Um, and they have an audio feature on there. And basically, you just hit audio, and then it asks you, what kind of reader do you want? You know, do you want the dramatized version? Do you want a, a guy with a deep voice? you want a lady with a higher voice? You know, what kind of voice is pleasing to you and keeps your interest? And so then you dial in your speaker, and then the next thing you can dial in is what scripture you want to read or what chapter, what book, and you dial that in, and then you just hit play. And... You know, I've been doing that lately, you know, on my drive to work. I just dial in my scripture, and it just starts reading it to me. And some days I say, okay, I'm going to listen to that on the way to work, on the way home, and I'll listen to a book sometimes two or three times through. And it's just amazing because, you know, the first time through, it's like, okay, that was good. But the second time through, you're like, did they say that the first time through? Did I miss that? And as you keep doing the repetition on it, all of a sudden, you go into that deeper phase of learning. So I was really amazed to see how many places are starting to adopt public reading of Scripture. And so I want to encourage you guys to consider that. Consider that with your groups. Consider that with your coworkers. Consider that, um, you know, in some of your prayer groups, wherever you guys meet, or start a group yourself to, to do that. At the very least, start to listen to the audio Bible and just get that in your spirit. And, you know, at night, a lot of times, you know, I, I would fall asleep. I just put my earbuds in and I just put that audio Bible in. And guess what? All night long, you're just getting saturated with the word. And 
believe it or not, when you need that word and it just pops up in your spirit because it's so ingrained in you, it's an amazing resource. It's an amazing tool. It's that two-edged sword. Amen? Amen. Okay, so tonight, I want to put this into practice a little bit. And I know it's probably going to be a stretch for some of you. But I need a couple strong readers. And if you want to read, if you could just sit in the front row, probably need maybe five or six. Um, yeah, so we got six chairs. So five or six readers. And we got a half hour. Can we try this for a half hour? Would that be okay if we just give it a try? And just kind of introduce the concept to you and see what it does. So just need you to pay attention. Uh, there's pew Bibles. It's always better if you have the written word um, or if you want to follow along in your phone. But we'll read from the NIV tonight because that's what the pew Bibles are. Um, so if it's not your favorite translation, I apologize. But, um, you know, it's just to practice this tonight. So use the NIV and just read along so that you don't fall asleep. And if you're a great reader, you know, it's good if you read it with a little oomph. That would help. And I think tonight, what you know, as I was praying, like, should we do the Psalms? What, what should we read? And I felt directed by the Lord that Pastor Tim started teaching on the book of Mark on Sundays, right? So why don't we just start with the book of Mark, see how far we get. But I thought that would be a good one for us to practice on. Amen? Amen. So who wants to read? We need a couple readers. Come right up. Anybody wants to read? Great. Yeah, keep coming. That's great. Thanks. And so um, probably each do a chapter. Does that sound okay or is that too long? Is a chapter. The first chapter is pretty long. So, Jan, I'm going to ask you to read the first chapter. Okay. Let me turn the, let me turn the mic on for you. Can you hear me? I didn't think so. Is there a sound guy? Here, we'll just put this one up here. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the, oh dear. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that were there that was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. Where Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and take your mat and walk? But that you know may, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law were there, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will be will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine still will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to them, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, Have you never read that David did what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him and closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Adumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, 
he told the disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. When they came to him, he appointed twelve, designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bargarigas, which means son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphysius, Theodorus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Icarus, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd entered or gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, but they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed to Beelzebub, but the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. For Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he, then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whosoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he said, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whosoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> 
Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is, was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch on its shade, in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. His disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind dried down, died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thank you. I think we'll stop there for tonight. Thanks for all those who read and those that were willing to read. Appreciate it. But uh, hopefully that gives you a flavor for that. And as they were reading, I was thinking about, I, I love reality TV. I don't know why. My wife hates when I watch it. But... but um, and I like those treasure hunting shows. And so, you know, I always tell people, don't read just for speed. You know, some people try to just read through the Bible in two weeks or whatever. And, and they're just trying to see how fast they can get through it. But there's something about reading it through, the continuity that comes with it, right? And um, so to me, like, I think of shows like Curse of Oak Island or, uh, you know, Gold Rush and these shows. What they do is first they comb over the entire area that they want to look for treasure, right? They're sweeping it. And that's what this tonight was like, sweeping the ground, right? We're getting a lay of the land and kind of mapping all the anomaly, anomalies. I can't say that word. <laughs> but, but all the uh, interesting points you're looking for. <laughs> and, uh, and then you go back, right? And then you dig in those spots and they have a little pointer sometimes that can tell if they got 
to the exact spot of the treasure, but that first couple sweeps just maps out the area and identifies points of interest. And so as you're reading through that word and you find these points of interest, hopefully you heard something tonight that piqued your interest and you're like, I got to go back and check that out. And so that's when they go back and, and dig a little deeper. And that's when the gold really starts coming out of the word. Amen. Amen. So I just want to encourage you guys. And the more you do it, the more you get in the rhythm of it. And I don't know about you, I love hearing everybody read just the differences of expression and, and just hearing the different voices. And, you know, this is going up to heaven. We know these sound waves just continue into infinity, don't they? And so as, as those words go up, that's not going to return void. And hopefully tonight it, it did something in your heart and you'll go back and research a little bit more. But just keep going through the word and the more word we get in us, the more it will come in handy, you know, when you have times and you have trials in your life when, when you don't know what to do and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit quickens that word. But you got to get that word in there for him to quicken it to you, right? So um, I really want to thank you guys for your patience tonight. And I think it was a fun experiment, hopefully, for you. And um, so I just want to encourage you to do that. And again, try out some of those Bible apps and Bible Gateway, like I said, the audio Bible. They got some readers on there that, you know, one of the readers will strike your uh, taste. And, and again, just go over it a couple times. And each time you go over it, you'll hear something new. So, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us, among us. Father, I pray for each and every person here tonight, those that couldn't be with us, that, that they would just fall in love with your word. Lord, that it would just go deeper and deeper into our hearts. Lord, that we would be a church that would know our word forward and backwards, inside and out. Lord, that we would just desire to follow hard after you and that we would become um, doers of the word, not just hearers of the word as well. So, Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing, all you're about to do. We thank you for these answered prayers that are coming swiftly. And, uh, Lord, we pray for those tonight that are sick, that are hurting, that are uh, in need. We just pray that you would meet every need and cure every illness in Jesus' name. Amen.